This is Tech Hive's Clockwise Podcast, Episode 2, for the week of July 15, 2013. Clockwise, four guests, four topics, 30 minutes. Welcome to Clockwise, a podcast invented in no way accidentally. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and to my left is our, our first guest, Susie Oaks, the senior editor at TechHive. Welcome, Susie. Hi, thanks. Thanks for being here. And sitting to my left, I am Jason Snell, by the way, editorial director. And to my left is our other guest, Melissa Rio Frio, senior editor at PC World and, and TechHive, I suppose, too. You, yes. You, you, you get around. I do. Hi, everyone. Thanks for, thanks for being here, both of you. This is like a senior editor party here. We got three senior editors. Jason, you're outnumbered. Yeah, you're right. If a meteor falls here, bad things will happen. Yeah. <laughs> the Secretary of Agriculture is in charge if a meteor hits us today. <laughs> we don't know why the succession order is strange, but Jason, perhaps you'd like to explain exactly what we're doing here. Well, uh, this is the Clockwise Podcast, and since it's only the second episode, we may not have figured it all out yet. So let's explain uh, every single one of us, all four in this room, have brought a technology topic that we think is worth discussing today, and all of us will talk about it in turn. And because we don't want to waste anybody's time, and our podcast is called Clockwise, we will, we will spend just five minutes on each and every topic. And because I'm the co-host and a generous person... Are you more generous than me, Dan? I am about three times more generous Damn. than you. Science has proven it. Okay. I'll go first, and then the action will move count... No... Clockwise. See what it did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thought that was going the other way, Clockwise is a totally different podcast. Don't listen to those guys. They're not cool. No. So since I'm kicking it off today, I'm going to start with a question uh, that I find particularly intriguing. This might be a little bit inside baseball, but I'm, I'm still intrigued in what you guys think of it. And that is NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, on beta software, particularly in the case of Apple's iOS. And the reason I bring this up is because this week someone went online and posted all of the videos from Apple's developer conference on YouTube, <laughs> which made it a little silly for those of us who you know are bound by NDAs to not talk about these things. Now, in particular, we're talking about the case of software that's you know, well, not been well. It's not been disseminated to regular users. Developers have their hands on it, and we've all seen it previewed at a conference. So, I guess my question is: Do these sorts of non-disclosure agreements is this more of like an elephant in a room situation where there's something that we're not talking about, even though we all know about it? And does it, at a bottom line, does it actually help or hurt this software by not letting people openly discuss it? Susie, would you like to weigh in? Um, well, I think with iOS seven. It's such a big departure from iOS 6 that it seems like these betas have been almost a bigger story than, you know, previous iOS betas that we've seen after past WWDC conferences. So it's really natural that everyone's going to want to talk about this. But it's annoying, especially from, you know, the journalist perspective, because once it's broken somewhere, it seems like it should be broken anywhere, you know, and you feel like a chump for kind of honoring the NDA after that point because, you know, the, the train is moving on and you're running to keep up. So so it's it's tricky. It's very tricky. I agree with that. Jason, what do you got to say on that? I know this is a, this is a matter near and dear to your heart. Makes it lo- makes you look like a chump. That's about right. That, that um, <laughs> The fact is that there are media outlets out there that uh, report this stuff immediately, and they don't really care that there's an NDA. They've gotten somebody to violate the, their agreement and give them the beta if they haven't themselves spent $99 for the privilege of doing that. And it makes those of us who would like to honor 
non-disclosure agreements look like chumps, look like we're behind the times because we're not doing it. So it's frustrating. Um, beyond sort of Apple being able to point at Samsung and say, see, you had prior knowledge of this because you downloaded a beta, I'm not quite sure what it accomplishes uh, other than, I guess, a company like Apple or any company, any tech company that's got a uh, what they think of as a closed beta. They aren't quite ready to be judged. They want to be able to experiment and then they want to be able to make a big splash when they go final. So I guess the risk is you lose that second big splash when you go final if you do this. But um, I think it's less productive uh, I think it's counterproductive. I think that it would be much better off if there could be a lot of open discussion about what's going on. Because the fact is, it's happening anyway. It's just this weird halfway halfway point, and and I don't think that helps anybody because it hasn't stopped the dis- the discussion. The discussion continues everywhere except the places that want to honor uh, the non disclosure agreements they made, which seems silly. Well, and I'm a very scrupulous NDA observer. Uh, I've been known to get up at weird hours of the morning to push my stories live. Yeah. Uh, so, gosh, I wish I could honor the agreement, but I think that, you know, if you're showing it to people and they're talking about it, at that point you just need to give up. If you really want it to be secret, go into a locked room, you know, keep them there, remove the copiers, whatever you need to do, but don't announce at a developer's conference and expect all the journalists there to be as nice as we are. And at that point, I think, you know, saying pay no attention to the man behind the curtain is just like, what? Really? Well, and then the success of betas come out and those aren't as as public and yet everybody's got them and everybody's talking about them. So why, why are we pretending that they don't exist? Yeah, I mean, forget it. Forget it. And more to the point, this is this is kind of a disservice in my opinion because if you're having people judge things on those early releases and they're fixed in later releases, but you're saying no, you can't talk about these things that are fixed in the later releases, just means that it's going to get the, the the echo chamber gets worse and worse on those particular topics. So I, I agree with the rest of you. It sounds like that this it just seems so so weird, especially in this indication. Right, Apple is a company that does a really good job of keeping things secret when it wants to. <laughs> it's it's unparalleled in that regard. But when they actually put something out there to slap these paper handcuffs on people and being like, ah, you can't talk about this, even though it's, you know, like we said, out there on every other site, it seems like they're not really doing themselves in, in any any favors. And I think it'd be better if they did have a forum for people to discuss this in an open fashion. Fair enough, Dan. You got that in under under time, too. Thanks for keeping the podcast on time, Dan. Ooh, I just, we're rolling along here. I feel good. feel good today. So now that I've concluded my topic, let's pass along. Susie, do you have a topic for us to discuss today? I do. I don't know if it's as sexy as NDAs, but <laughs> how it, could it be? I will try. Um, it came up earlier today in um, QR codes. Do you guys? We're we're big nerds, and I admit that I have never scanned a QR code in my life because the only place I see them is in magazine ads, and I know they're just sending me to a website that's going to tell me to drink my Ovaltine. So, <laughs> but I was wondering if you guys have come up with any, you know, have come across any buddy companies, individuals in the wild that are using these in a cool and unique way or if they're just some dumb tech fad that needs to die? Ah, wow. So I get to go first. I I think they're silly. I have seen them. There's There's a museum... Uh, down not more than a couple blocks away from here that actually did a scavenger hunt for uh, for kids that you basically hand your kids your your smartphone and uh, all the clues are in QR code form and I thought that was a pretty cool idea that uh, they were just using it as a secret decoder ring essentially okay. to literally to tell them to drink their Ovaltine um, and I thought that was a good idea in general they seem 
they seem silly. I will admit that um, a, a novel that I wrote that I'm hoping to publish soon features QR codes, and it's largely satirically because I think they're ridiculous. Oh, okay. I thought it was, um, you were going to say it was this cool no. choose-your-own-adventure thing. <laughs> no, and that's, a, that's a great idea. It's a novel idea. about QR yeah. codes. No, it's no. It, they're just in there, and I, the reason they're in there is mostly because I thought they were they were sort of ridiculous. Um, chances are that magazine ad that you that you found the QR code in has the URL that's in the QR code on the page. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I mean, I scan barcodes in with my phone, but they tend to be like the product codes on things to put in my shopping list, not mm-hmm. weird annotations. So, I, I, I'm not sure it's ever gonna it's ever gonna make it. Um, but the the kid scavenger hunt at the museum is the the best example. That was fun. We actually had fun with QR codes for a moment. Melissa? And you handed your child your smartphone, which is very brave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was I to do? They wanted to have fun. Uh, yeah. You just don't want them to get any ideas about getting their own smartphone. So I can do this again, Dad. But um, So I've only used smart codes at the airport for my boarding pass. And for that, it was totally cool. Because all I had to do was hold up my phone and the scanner looked at my thing. No boarding pass, nothing else. I was in. Uh, otherwise, I'm kind of like Susie. Like, if I hold my phone up to this, are you going to get all of my information and sell me things? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know about that. And it's not so convenient, especially if you've got an iPhone, because the iPhone doesn't doesn't do it doesn't, the, the, the built-in app doesn't scan it. You right. gotta Android, get a third party app. You can scan the QR code, and I do have a third party app on my phone to do it. But but it's so it's not. I mean, if the goal is to be convenient, I'm not sure it is actually convenient. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, the thing for me is I just don't know what it's going to do. Unless right. it's my boarding pass. I'm not going to hold my phone up to that thing. And who knows what information is in your boarding pass? Yeah. True. Like where I'm going. All sorts of secrets. Stuff. Biometric information. <laughs> You're standing on a trap door, and if it displeases you, it'll... Psh- they just won't let you on. It's like when you get, you know, a Twitter message that's just a link. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. Don't send that to the bomb squad. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the virtual bomb squad. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. I, I don't find it very useful. I, the, the boarding pass is a good example. And in that, I use it for, I use Passbook on iOS. And so it's, I never scan anything. It just shows up there and they scan it, right? So it's not like I ever did anything to, you know, get a QR code other than just say, oh yeah, I want my boarding pass on my, on my phone. The one place I was thinking about, the one place I've actually used a QR code is I used the two-factor authentication for my Google account. And to set it up, you can use the, in oh, the yeah. Google authentication thing. You can scan a QR code, uh-huh. which is actually nice because it saves time in having to type all the stupid things out on my little phone app. Um, literally, I think that is the only place I've ever used it, which seems like maybe a little bit too niche for you know general usage. I think I did come across something like Jason with a in a puzzle competition I did or something where there was a QR code. But even there, it's it's so much of a novelty. I, I don't know if it really solves a problem other than for something like boarding passes or other sorts of virtual passes that someone else who has a scanner is going to scan this in for you rather than you going around the, in the environment and scanning random things. Because right, all it's really dr- doing is embedding text and w- people have proven to be pretty good at putting text in on their phones. and Also reading. And <laughs> reading. reading things, reading words. Yeah. Well, and I can I can hear that people are fine with known knowns, but they're not fine with unknown knowns. Yes, who knows what's in that barcode? Susan, right. does that satisfy you? Yes. All right. It's not just you. You're not alone. Okay, good. I thought I just didn't get it. You go to that museum though. <laughs> yeah. Which one was that? The Cartoon Art Museum? No, it's it's the um the one by the um by the the carousel on on Howard Street. The, oh, okay. The the I forget what Zeum I think it's yeah, called. Yeah, Zeum. Yeah, the kids museum. 
All right, I guess it's my turn. Right, Dan? It's all you, Jason. Okay. What do you got for us? Um, I, I wanted to do something different. I, I rented a car recently that had a uh, Ford Sync uh, entertainment system in it. Um, and it was a more recent model than the one I rented that looked like uh, the console looked like the lunar module in the, uh, in the for the Apollo missions. Or it had like a number <laughs> pad and it's like way too many wow. buttons for a car. This was a little bit better, but I still had that thought that um, – it wasn't good. And, and in fact, when I plugged my uh, iPhone into it via USB, you couldn't get it to uh, accept the USB without pressing like a, a, the play button was the enter button. And then you had to use the this other button to go up and down and say, yes, use USB and then press the play button again. It was really non-intuitive and confusing. And I had that moment where I thought to myself, why are car entertainment systems so bad? And can anybody do anything about them? You know, what are the strategies that you guys use when you're trying to play music in your car? Uh, and is there any is there any hope here? I know Apple announced uh, this Siri and or this I, I, what is it even called the iPhone I, and the, iOS in the iOS car, in the car where they take over your touch screen. I'm not sure quite <laughs> and how, your entire car and your whole car and they drive it for you. I don't know how that's going to work. I just I'm not sure even you know even Apple has has a real solution here. This seems like the whole car world is almost a technological wasteland where uh, everything's integrated differently and you've got different power buttons for different things in the dashboard. So, Melissa, I know you uh, spend a lot of time thinking about car tech. What do you think about why are these bad and is there any hope? I am dying to answer your question. Uh, There are probably a few reasons why they're bad. Uh, Not to apologize for the car companies, but it does take a lot longer to develop a car. So the reason that the stuff that you see looks really old and clunky is because they probably had to start dealing with it like two years ago. And technology moves so much faster. And so I think the car companies actually have a really tough challenge here. How do we keep up with all this stuff? They can't. I mean, it's very complicated. But they're going to have to because anyone who buys the car, if they look at something that's two years old, they're going to say, why why did I just spend money on this? And so, I mean, part of the issue definitely is like connecting your phone, Bluetooth versus USB. I used a sync on a car I evaluated recently, and it wasn't too bad. And I have a clunky old Windows phone that only like 5% of the world has. And it was able to connect. But So I'm actually shocked that your iPhone couldn't deal. Oh, once it got on, it was fine. It was just that the number of buttons I had to press to say, yes, use the thing that I just connected was too many. They they keep trying to get better. Like next year, it'll be better. That's all I can tell you. But the iOS thing is a huge mystery, and I would love to know about that. Apple, do you hear me? I really want to know what you're going to do. Uh, yeah, it's tough. Also, the reliance on touchscreens gets me, too, where you're driving. And, and I know that there's been a trend lately to putting more real buttons back in cars, which is good because I can feel – it's just like a, a remote control at home. I want buttons because I can feel the buttons. I don't need to take my eyes off of the road and f- touch a touchscreen. Safety first, people. Yeah, and how is iOS 7 going to solve that? Yeah. Dan? That's, that's a tricky one. Well, I, I don't know how iOS 7 is going to solve that, and I'm, I'm not responsible for that. But Darn, I was hoping that segue would, <sighs> would As Jason knows, as Jason knows, I, I, I complained long, and uh, I, I bought a car last year, and I, I complained a lot about the, the built-in system in it because, while it had Bluetooth, which is great, and I could play music over it, which was great, there was a bug in the firmware where it would play the right channel of audio over both speakers, 
which was maddening because as it turns out, there are some songs where there's different information on the left and right stereo channels and then you just couldn't hear anything on the left channel. And the lesson was that cars don't do software updates. (laughs) No, they do. Eventually, it took two hours to like, I had to take it in the shop and then they sit there for like two hours applying a firmware update, I think bit by bit. Like, okay, we'll write it down. One, zero, (laughs) zero. QR codes Um, would have solved that problem. So, yeah, exactly. So here's... I think Melissa's right that there's like it's it's very challenging for car companies that are used to dev- designing so far out in the future. Um, but I think the other problem there is that these things are not within their core competency to use the buzzwords. I mean, they don't design technological interfaces really they design cars and i think that that's some i mean a lot of this stuff is oem equipment that's that's manufactured by other companies in my case i think it's like a panasonic unit that's in there not that you would know but um and so i think the trouble is that they're just not very they think about a lot of good stuff i love the way that my car which is a, a volkswagen is otherwise designed for like the climate controls and it's even got some physical knobs on most stuff which is good it does have a touchscreen but you can largely get away with ignoring it thanks to like steering wheel mounted controls. But I, I think they're just not very good at it and maybe they just don't spend the time. And there's always these deals where they want to work with Microsoft or Apple or Panasonic or some other company. And it just seems like trying to stuff, you know, a, a round peg in a square hole sometimes. And I think that that's a, that's a real problem for them. But it's only going to get harder, like Melissa said. They're going to have to deal with it. Susie? Um, Well, my car is about six years old, and we have a 30-pin cable that we had installed in the back of the stereo, so it just comes flying out this little hole in the dashboard. And it's awful because it breaks down, it'll start to fray, and then you have to take it back to the stereo guy to have him put in a new one. So I need something different. And yeah, when we bought the car, the guy even told us, like, you're going to love everything about this car but the stereo. So we didn't upgrade it. We just (laughs) immediately ripped it out and replaced it with, you know, a new head unit. So... I think like there's so many there's so many different variations that it almost makes sense for this to be an aftermarket thing. Almost I think because you can pick and choose. Like so right now I would never get, you know, a, a stereo with a thirty that relied on thirty pin because we have one lightning device, one thirty pin device, and a micro USB device that I would like to all be able to use all of them with my with my stereo. You so. know what works great? Well Bluetooth is okay. Yeah. And the mini jack. Just a plug. Yeah. Hey, everybody Everybody has a headphone jack. I'm so excited when I get a rental car that has the mini jack. <laughs> I had a third-party stereo in my old car that I put into my aging Accord before I got rid of it that had a, just a USB, like a standard USB plug in it. And that actually worked great for my phone. It worked better than I think my, my Bluetooth streaming solution does in my yeah. brand new car. So, There's some, yeah. something to be said for the old plug. Uh, Melissa, what's your topic? My topic is the Microsoft reorganization that was announced last week. Um, Microsoft has had a lot of news lately, and the latest is that they're completely rearranging their company according to function rather than according to product. It used to be that there was a Windows phone team and a Windows team and a Surface team and Xbox team, and there's this really hilarious diagram that came out where they're all like these little islands aiming guns at each other because they were kind of competitive. But now they're all supposed to get along. There's going to be, you know, a software group and a hardware group, and they're all going to have these interdisciplinary teams. It's very kumbaya. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, this is going to be a real challenge because suddenly all these people who are used to being in their own little group and doing their own little thing are going to be like, I have to talk to those people to get what I want done. And not just those people, but like two or three other groups, you know, they're going to 
do these cross teams, but it's still going to be like, I can, it just sounds like they're going to have a lot of uh, trouble figuring out how to talk to each other and get this to work. And so I'd like to pass it to the next person to see what they think. I think that's me. I, I, I think this is, you know, really interesting. Maybe Sunday nights they'll all get together in the cafeteria and play like Parcheesi and Twister. Um, but I think, Kumbaya. Uh, well, it's the, you know, a lot of people have compared this to uh, Apple, the way Apple organizes itself. Yeah. Of course, I, I know Apple a lot better than I know Microsoft. But um, and, and it seems to me there's things to potentially be gained there because it does reduce some of the friction in these fiefdoms. But it is also really hard to get people who are used to having control on these things to work together. I mean, Apple has had that as a structure for a long time now. And, you know, it certainly caused friction when they first started reshaping things that way. But it's, you know, it's a very big point of the company that all their products are sort of developed towards one end. That said, there's a lot that, that, that can be learned. And I, and I think there's probably parts of Microsoft that are very mired in these really old ways of doing things that could, that could probably pick up some interesting ideas from things like the Windows Phone team and Xbox and, and not to mention interoperability stuff, which is a potential, real potential PowerPoint for Microsoft, no pun intended. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I don't even listen to the words until they come out of my house. Um, And so I think that it's interesting because you have these devices like a set-top box slash game console and a, you know, a mobile phone and a tablet, and Apple's shown really good ways that you can make multiple devices work together, um, and that this is a potential place for, for Microsoft to really capitalize on their ecosystem, which is, which is one of their strengths. So I, I think it's, it's going to be short-term friction, long-term, potentially really good, although Steve Ballmer at the top of the pyramid still means that you know, there's a little shakiness there. <laughs> I will pass it along to Susie. Um, well, I also know Apple a lot better than Microsoft. Um, so the thing that I was the most excited about um, at this announcement was um, I'm excited to hear more from Julie Larson Green. She was my favorite part of the Build conference keynote. Um, you know, after after you have Balmer come in and wave his hands around for a while, like she came out and did did a demo that was really interesting. And then uh, Wired just did a cool profile on her that Ryan Tate wrote um, that I liked. So. I was trying to remember as I was watching her at the Build conference when, if I had ever seen a female Apple exec presenting on stage, and I couldn't think I'd been, you know, going to keynotes since 2006, and I couldn't think of a single example. So, so I think it's a smart, you know, move for them to try to integrate their products together, like Dan was saying. But I'm also eager for Apple to kind of take a page from Microsoft and look for ways to to get more women involved in the exec team. I think not since Ellen Hancock was the CTO under uh, Gil Emilio has there been a, a, a woman executive on stage at an Apple event. So it's been a long time. Yeah. It was 97, I think. Wow. Yeah. Um, somebody correct me if I'm wrong about that. I, I think I like um, I like this idea for Microsoft only because in the last few years, my perception of Microsoft has really changed to to seeing some of the things that are coming out of Microsoft as being very creative and getting the distinct feeling that it's being stifled by the people in those kingdoms saying, no, 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 you can't do that because it'll hurt office. And even if the big picture is is great, you can't do that, you know, because you can't name Windows Phone something other than Windows Phone because Windows is has to be it. Um, when, you know, or even the tablet strategy and saying, no, 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 uh, the tablet is going to be Windows 8 with a tablet overlay. It's not going to be uh, Windows Phone on the tablet. And, and who's to say that that'll change? But um, 
I look at this organization and wonder if maybe it's more likely that those really innovative, creative, groundbreaking things that Microsoft is inventing have a better chance of coming to fruition in an organization like this. It's not that Microsoft has an invention problem, which they used to back in the day. They don't anymore. They have a they have a, a problem of having those inventions live long enough to reach people without being screwed up or killed. So maybe this is a solution there. Melissa, how does, how does that sound? How does that strike you? Uh, I do think that the Apple model has obviously worked for Apple, and so there's nothing wrong with Microsoft trying to emulate that. And I totally agree that before they were just, I think, battling each other unproductively. All right. Uh, that brings us to our bonus question, which has has little to do with technology, although it can occasionally. And I, I have a couple uh, options here for bonus question. I think it's worth saying we, we keep seeing new um, TV series uh, debuting on streaming services. Plus, of course, there are those enormous back catalogs. Um, and so I was wondering if you are watching uh, any TV series now via streaming, and if so, what? And if you're not, then maybe you can tell me something else about a TV show that, you, that you're that you enjoying in some other other way. Melissa? Oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> are you streaming anything? I am not streaming anything at all, and I watch almost no television, not because I oppose television, uh, but because I'm running around doing other things. Do you watch movies? I love movies. Do you see a good movie lately? Yes. Um, we'll accept that. I saw Much Ado About Nothing. Oh, the Joss Whedon. About, by Josh Whedon, <laughs> formerly of The Avengers, and that was an amazing movie. Uh, I think it showed, you know, you see The Avengers, it's crash, bang, boom, and, you know, and then suddenly it's, you know, hark. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was very strange when Benedict got very angry and turned into a giant monster, though. That was strange. <laughs> That's very strange. Well, I think it showed that even though Josh Whedon is obviously known for his big, expensive action flicks, you know, he did this movie in like two weeks. In his house. In his very lovely home in black and white with 20 of his best friends. And it was an amazing rendition of, of, of one of my favorite Shakespeare plays, actually. Of course, when your when your best friends are like you know quality actors. TV and movie actors, it helps a lot. <laughs> the bar a little bit. I tried this with my friends, and let me tell you, my house is a lot smaller, and they don't do Shakespeare. Dan, are, are you streaming something? Um, I've slowly been watching um, the. <laughs> I've slowly been watching the Justice League cartoon on Netflix because I missed it when it came out like ten years ago, which is in the same universe as sort of the Batman cartoons. They they share a whole continuity, which is kind of crazy. But I, it, it's half an they're half an hour cartoon episodes, and I'll watch them at the gym or something like that. And and they're they're entertaining. They're one of those cartoons that's well enough written that it's clearly not just for kids because there's like jokes there are jokes in there that kids won't get really um so i've been watching that on on netflix and then on a uh on a in a sort of a an older more arcane technology dvd what you may have heard of this uh i've been i've gone back at my uh my my girlfriend's urging and we're watching gilmore girls from the beginning because i never saw it and I, I'm actually really, really enjoying it. I've, I've gotten kind of hooked on that. So, Have you gotten to the point where the guy from Supernatural is on? <laughs> He's on pretty early. Oh, okay. I've decided that in, in it's canon with Supernatural and that Milo Ventimiglia actually plays uh, 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 Jensen Ackles' role. So I, I, it all works together if you think about it. All right. All right. Susie, are you streaming something? I sure am. I'm really into House of Cards right now. Oh. It's been out for a little bit, but I just, uh, I just found it. And I watched like two episodes and then had to pause until I could convince my husband that it was worth his time to watch it with me so I wouldn't have, you know, get halfway through and have to start over. 
And then um, Orange is the New Black just came out just on Thursday. Just came out on Netflix, yeah. Yeah, I really like it. I'm like four or five episodes into that, too. That's it's, I heard it was Gingy very good. Cohen, right, who did yes, uh, Weeds. the creator of Weeds, yeah. So it's got, it's it kind of reminds you a little bit of Weeds. The cast is all ladies because it's set in a women's prison. So it's, it's, it's really cool. It has, you know, some humor and some very... Um, dark <laughs> scenarios too so it's it's interesting seeing how they mix it together yeah i have a hard time with the, the streaming i i, I kind of wish the streaming shows didn't drop every episode at once i kind of wish they'd yeah. spread them out yeah. i think it actually hurts the because i've i've watched house of cards like the first five episodes and i i just i feel no urgency to watch it because they all were there and that was and they'll always be there i i watched the first two of house of cards and the first three of arrested development and basically just sort of like eh, there's other things i can yeah, be watching yeah i like and i like them and i watched right, all yeah. the arrested developments in about a week and house <laughs> of cards i want to sort of do one a week at which point i think say if they released one a week i might be motivated to watch it the show i'm streaming right now is continuum which was a sci-fi channel channel show with rachel nichols uh, about a cop in the future who is chasing terrorists in the future, and they all get thrown back to the distant past of 2012. <laughs> and um, it's uh, it's enjoyable because you've got that uh, cop uh, cop uh, fish out of water dynamic, but the bad guys are also fish out of water. And then underlying the whole show is this question about whether the terrorists actually are in the right, and that if she is the representative of an oppressive police state overclass, and that they were they're actually um, they're trying to prevent a, a dystopia and our hero or our heroine is is trying to stop them <laughs> which is it's it's uh it's fun and interesting and has managed to to not be a kind of plot of the week uh in the first whatever five episodes that i've seen so I, i've enjoyed that way more than i expected to it's been a while since i've liked a show on the sci-fi channel so that's what i'm streaming and i just finished arrested development which was a lot of well, there you go stuff to add to all of your cues out yeah. there or your or your dvd collection yeah, you didn't know you, you were gonna that's the way you roll recommendations but we got a movie we got some tv shows we got everything we, we like to throw in some bonus content for all you listening at home but since we have been carefully watching the clock that is literally all the time we have Susie oaks thank you for being here thanks and melissa rio frio thank you very much for coming in oh you're very welcome so until next time from all of us here at clockwise watch what you say and please keep watching the clock <laughs>